First of all, hello and welcome back to another segment of Direct Connect with Archer. Uh, we really talk about all things security and compliance related. Uh, I'm Mark Bromson. I'm a Senior Vice President of Client Relationship here at Archer, and I'm joined with Nick Weber and Brent Castanetto, both managing partners of Archer. Hello, Brent. Hello, Nick. How are you? Hey there. Hey, Mark. Doing good? Excellent. So today we're going to talk about creating a comprehensive staffing strategy for critical roles and the different uh, avenues and angles that takes forward our organizations, whether you're in the electric utility sector, oil and gas. Um, so I'll pose first question, and that way uh, I'll pull in Brent and Nick to, you know, to respond a little bit. How do you think, from your experiences with, with different utilities, whether it's oil and gas or, or electric utility, how well do you see those organizations having a true staffing strategy, um, specifically around critical roles, right? So there's there's those roles that they, you just can't live without, whether they're in cybersecurity, compliance, or operations in general. What do you guys see out there today? I see a lot of a haphazard, kind of trying to chase after the fact with things. Um, it seems like on the, the transmission planning for the electric industries, the generation side, they're a little bit better about it. They've been through a few iterations of retirements. I know that was a big thing when I was in high school and college back in the 90s, was the the boomers starting to retire in the mid-2000s, uh, which obviously got delayed a little bit by the recession. Still, that's something that's always been a concern on that side, where you get into the security side. We haven't really been through that pain as much since we're still a little bit younger in. Same with compliance. Uh, I know, Brent, what have you seen? Yeah, I would say the same. You know, that, that brain drain that uh, Nick talked about is, is huge from an operational perspective, a little less so on the compliance side. But, you know, I think, you know, entities struggle, whether it's in ONG or in the electric utility space, in both areas to identify what those critical roles are and then staff them appropriately. I think most are still just trying to find, you know, the right fit. Uh, for an organization. And then really, that's it. They don't really think beyond from a strategic position perspective, where these roles make the most sense and where they fit and where they can be, do the most good and be mo more, most effective. Do you think, you know, one of the things I heard you say um, led me down the path of, when you think about um, today, in a, whether it's security or compliance, you think we always talk to our clients about having a, a complete asset list, right? What are those important assets, uh, those mandatory assets you have so that you can actually plan your activities around your security compliance activities around those assets. Um, do you think, uh, do you think organizations in the critical infrastructure do that same type of, uh, um, asset tracking when it comes to their critical, uh, critical employees? Do they really know who their critical employees are, the critical tasks? Do they have them documented? No, I think most of them look at an org chart and kind of do a top down, just take the, the easy approach, the higher up, the, the more important. And then obviously the, the operational side, who are the ones that are either turning turbines or meters or, or cranking open the, the valves and, and making the money. I think that's generally how it's approached and not really a, from a risk perspective. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen an organization um, that I can think of that's done a true evaluation top to bottom to uh, identify critical roles, critical personnel. 
you know, but again, I, I think inherently people understand like, wow, this is, this is one of our best people, right? This is one of our most effective people. And, and this is someone who's, you know, a thought leader in the space, uh, whether it's security or compliance, but I don't know that anyone's done a, a true, you know, identification of those critical roles and critical personnel. Um, where have you guys seen utilities, electric utilities and gas companies struggle when it comes to a comprehensive strategy? I think a big part of it is is getting their arms around what talents or what skill sets they need um, and then trying to figure out how they find the people that fit those skill sets. Uh, one of the things that I routinely ran into was uh, when I run the security department, I needed probably five or six different unique skill sets, but, but only really had work at that point. I first took over for probably two full-time employees, but finding those, those two bodies that had all of those skill sets in them didn't exist. So that's where we got kind of challenging and okay, what else can we do to help justify not only the existing staff, but additional staff, where else can we go get those resources? And the other, one of the big pieces we always ran into was um, our CEO had a, a mindset that every hire was uh, a million dollar cost because you're, you're going to have them for around 10 years at least. Uh, not always the case, but that's kind of the average. So that was one of the other pieces to get get over on the financial side is how do you justify that kind of spend? I would add to that, you know, you can't add it the budget perspective. You know, are, are they are people asking the right questions to, you know, to uh, validate the budget requests they're making um, and, and learning how to communicate with the senior leadership to really true, you know, have a true justification for those individuals, those personnel, those top performers that you really need to have a, a, an effective compliance or security program. I think that's still a big challenge. You know, we all look at safety as number one priority paramount, right? Life safety issues are, are critically important. Everyone recognizes that. But I think compliance and security take a back seat in some respect um, to, to that to that safety. And, and we need to bring it up. We need to elevate that risk and, and kind of identify it and say, hey, there's significant risk if we can't get a good strategy, develop a good strategy and then implement that strategy going forward to get the best people in the right places in the organization. Yeah, it's interesting. When, as you guys were talking through that, I know many of the clients that I get to work with, um, when they are looking for a replacement role or an add to staff, um, and you know, I have conversations with them about what they're looking for. Often, I get requests to help them find the unicorn out there. You know, they want someone who knows compliance. You know, again, whether that's you know TSA or oil and gas in the oil and gas sector or NERC SIP in the electric utility sector and is extremely technical, uh, has quite a bit of experience. Oh, and by the way, they're sitting in their geography because they want them in the office every day. Um, you know, in some places that's okay. That's an okay ask. The, the talent pool is a little deeper. Um, but when you get into some of these smaller and it's not even always smaller, it's more rural, um, geographies, it's, that can be a challenge. How have you guys talked with some of your clients about it as well? I would say the bigger challenge in the last two years has been urban. Saw a lot of people move out, um, just Good moving point. out into a place where they can get more for their more bang for their buck in real estate, or a place they want to be where they want their kids, or, or closer to family where they grew up. I think getting people in the urban centers is going to be the next big challenge in the next few years, because we've we've demonstrated we don't need to be in the same box every day for work working with several utilities that are dealing with that very issue, right? They're, they're in urban spaces and people have, you know, flocked outward from those urban spaces post COVID 
And now they're getting calls back to come into the office and they're saying, you know, I've, I've loved the, the, the lifestyle I've created for myself, this, the, these working opportunities, and therefore I'm going to choose a different path. And so uh, I think entities are, whether you're in the ONG or electric, electric utility sector, they're struggling with keeping those that top tier talent because they can work pretty much wherever. That's a great point. Prior to COVID, I saw in some of the more populated geographies, uh, i.e. the larger cities, saw a lot of people you know, changing, changing companies, jumping from job to job for career growth, income growth, whatever, whatever their reasons are. Um, saw that, and now we're seeing, uh, seeing them, yeah, as Nick, you brought up, and as friends as you commented on, um, them moving out of those uh, high-density population areas as well. That's, that's an interesting thought. Are you starting to see more companies open to the remote work engagement? So I'm looking at um, one of our biggest clients right now that they were in the middle of building a, a skyscraper, a big urban area, and sold all their other properties so they could help justify finishing that one because they realized that most of their employees don't need to be, not only do they not need to be in the office, it's expensive to put them in an office and pay utilities and property tax and obviously pay for the space uh, they don't need that. They've switched to some are, are full remote. A lot of them do the hotel approach where they've got cubicles. They drop in on specific days. I think that was something that was not new to me. Ten years ago when I was in um, Homeland Security, there was a big push because DHS didn't have a, a headquarters yet. I'm not sure if they even do yet. They kind of did, but I believe they were renting 53 different properties in the national capital region. So they were trying to figure out how to cut the costs on that through using those telework and remote work hoteling approaches. So it's not really new. It's maybe newer to some of our clients or some of the utilities, but it's been going on for a while. And, and I think, yeah, they're, they're looking at it from a, you know, a five-year planning perspective and they see that some of that, but I have seen some entities that are not deviating course. They're saying, we're calling everybody back and you got to deal with it. And, and there, therein lies that problem, that trap of potentially losing some of these folks that have been so good for so long and now they've worked from home for over two years and now they're not interested in coming back into a you know, full-time office space. So, you know, I think you'll see some entities that are, that are all about, you know, saving the dollars and, and, and it makes sense. Whereas others are like, you know, this is the way we do business and we're a brick and mortar shop and we're going to continue down that path. But they're going to realize that lesson sooner or later. Yeah. Kind of curious how that's going to work out. I know I heard from some friends in the financial industry that one of the big companies there called everybody back to work in October and between 25 and 30% of their employees said, okay, we're not coming back. Here's my resignation. Enough that the, the entire company went, Ooh, let's pump the brakes on this. Let's figure something out. Uh, and with the, the great resignation we've seen over the last few years, kind of curious to see how much of that will work, at least until the labor market flips. But right now it's absolutely labor driven. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. This is, you know, some of, some of what we're talking about is not uh, utility Centric conversations. It's, it's workforce in general, but I think it's important because our, you know, I know our clients are dealing with new decision points that didn't exist two years ago, and now have to be part of their, their strategy. Um, Nick, I, this one question I wanted to point to you a little bit, uh, only because I know we've had some pretty deep conversations uh, off the cuff over the last couple of years on this, and that is staffing around strategic initiatives or standard projects that have to come into play. Uh, kind of talk a little bit about the unicorn uh, that many uh, organizations would benefit from, uh, and that while that can still be part of the conversation, you know, what have you seen work for some clients that 
you know, have have these projects, whether in the electric utility uh, space, for example, there's GridX every every other year, um, in which they they it's a great project and, and a strategy for companies to be involved in, but not all not all of them do because they don't have the staff to extend into projects like that. So let me let you comment, Nick. Yeah, there's a lot of pieces around that. On the security side, the easy one to think of is our contract security guard forces. Um, I know when I was running the security department, we also managed a lot of the recreation sites along the Columbia River, which we didn't really, they weren't a big issue for about eight months out of the year. The other four months out of the year, that was my my biggest headache, my biggest challenge was managing the river, um, all the campgrounds, the boat launches, all of those pieces. So we'd staff up every summer and that was something that was built into the budget. I inherited that when I was built in, tried pushing some of that over to the compliance, uh, at least got the conversation started around the, the NERC SIP or the NERC audits that happen every three years, you can budget around that. Um, really, it's no different than um, any outage project, whether it's on the, the ONG side or or putting new lines in or building a new substation. You see a lot of the electric utilities, they don't go out and hire an entirely big construction maintenance crew to go do a project. They bring in a Patelco or a Pike or someone else so why do we not do that as much in our security and compliance when we've got, maybe we're putting in a new system, we're putting a new EMS upgrade, we've got to get a bunch of all hands on deck for that. We know we have an audit every three years. Why are we trying to just run with our steady state, burn them out completely every three years, and then try to justify why we have them on the, the off year? So that's one of the things that's it's always been kind of a mind boggle to me on the security and compliance side. When we figured it out so well on the ops side, um, and even on the physical security side, um, why that we don't do that for for cyber and for for um, compliance, um, still kind of a mystery to me. And then you get into the the resource where you don't have the skill set available. We saw that a bit. We had a few clients last year that brought um, a couple of us in to help them build cybersecurity incident response plans, recovery plans, and exercise them because they knew they didn't have the skill set. They also knew they didn't need to go hire a full time employee. At, 2,080 hours a year to do a project that they needed touched probably every two or three years for maybe six, 700 hours. So they just looked at it and did the basic math and said, yeah, we can bring in a consultant who's going to cost more per hour, but we're only paying for the hours we need. So kind of the, the a la carte versus trying to hit the buffet version. And, and ultimately, with that staff augmentation, you know, whether it's temporary or, or long term, you, you then do what Nick has kind of uh, described there. You're allowing your staff to focus on their day to day, continue their you know, normal business operation, their function more effectively by bringing in some, you know, outside external uh, staff who know and understand and have the skill sets you need to you know, deploy these projects. Um, it just sets you up, it positions you much, much better. So. Building that in as part of your strategic plan from a budget perspective, right? You got to build that in. You can't just say, "All right, we're going to upgrade, you know, forklift upgrade our EMS." Well, we're just going to run it with the people we have. That's not an effective way to do it. You will burn your people out, and you will lose people um, if you don't adjust accordingly and budget properly. Yeah, that's one of the things I actually did when I was back at Grant. Ran down a study and just used an Excel spreadsheet and I put each person in there and then all their steady state tasks and project tasks. And then just did kind of an average of how many hours we were spending per week on each one. And then ran that as a percentage. Actually talked to some of our HR and uh, one of the other guys in our, our uh, company that was going through the um, a leadership master's program. And said, okay, what's the, the sweet spot? 
we came back to was about 65 to 75 percent utilization is a pretty good load because then it takes into account all the, the various meetings you've got to do, um, trainings, time off, all those pieces you're accounted for. Um, and when, when I actually ran to ground what my staff was spending time on and then took that back for the budget piece, it was really easy to get approved when the lowest person on the team was at, I think, 95% utilization. And two of us were sitting at about 130%. So when, when they asked why I look tired, I just went right here, look at my spreadsheet, I'll tell you. This is what I do. Um, but that actually helped me get two positions filled and or created and then also get more uh, budget for our contract resources. Where I was able to put that right there. And on the project side, I was able to point to, we need contract for these because this project will end on this date and we don't need to be paying an employee beyond then. So that really, it was something I was very fortunate to, to hear that from our executives. That's what we need and then find the right people to build that. That's a great point, Nick. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times people get stuck on the first task, and that is asking for resources or asking for help and knowledge that their team doesn't have. Um, where in reality, the first step really is taking that full assessment of what I have, how what our utilization looks like, probably asking yourself some very tough questions. Are we spending ourselves our time on the right activities and tasks? Um, so that when you go to the board or leadership as a, in general and ask for staffing part-time, full-time, you know, special projects, uh, standard projects, if they're not, you know, if I would say special projects, but they're standard projects that have to happen. Audits for mock audits, um, uh, other projects in, like in the electric space, uh, GridX support. Um, those are all things that have to happen on a, on a regular basis, you know, whether it's one year or three year uh, or every other year. Um, and you've really got to build your way into having that conversation. So that's probably a whole other session we can ask, spend some time on, and that is uh, how do you how do you ask for resources from a board um, effectively? Another big thing to look at with that is the opportunity cost angle of things. I actually had that conversation with a client recently. He said, yeah, I can do everything you do, but I have a bunch of other stuff I have to do, so I shouldn't be doing what I'm hiring you to do. I said, yeah, absolutely. Um, because he's hired for a different role just because he has that skill set um, doesn't mean it's the right one. A great example of that one comes from uh, uh, was a Good Profit book by Charles Koch where he talks about somebody who started up a business and he was the best person to clean the office, but every time he was cleaning the office, he was doing something he could have been paying somebody $20 an hour for instead of going out being a lawyer and billing at 120 So he was losing $100 an hour. When you, you put that in context there, that makes it really hard to ignore some of those pieces when you're looking at staffing. I think there's a lot of people going, where do I get a lawyer for $120 an hour? They'll take you up on that. I get your point. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's an older book, so yeah, maybe, pre-inflation. Yeah, so there you go. So last question for me, and, and maybe we can round it out. Um, how, how should organizations think differently uh, about, maybe it's not one encompassing question, how should they think differently about going out and getting the staff the expertise um, to either back up, complement, and or replace uh, what they have going on today? What would you recommend? First, Nick, and then Brent. So I would say kind of invert the pyramid where we tend, tend to look at we need another person. And we start from that. Start with what skills or what tasks do we need to do? What tasks are we doing we don't need to do that we can either not do or, or transfer somewhere else? And then you use that to build up to say, okay, here are the, 
the amount of resources I need by hour and type, and then try to see if you can make that fit with the people you have. So you know what you're asking for. Um, if you're asking for a skill set, maybe you're asking for a low density skill set for a short term project. If you know that, then you can look at it very clearly and say, oh, I need a contractor for this. I don't need a, an employee. If you're looking at steady state going on indefinitely work, then you're probably looking for an employee there. But you need to start from that side rather than starting from, oh, I need contract support or I need an extra body. Start with the work. Yeah, good point, Nick. I'd add to that. Um, you know, look at the and, and, and truly evaluate the need for all the, the human capital. Are there opportunities to bring in tools, technology that can help you automate some of these tasks, some of these you know, really, really critical path tasks that have to get done and accomplished. And you're having people spinning cycles, um, and, you know, and, and really burning themselves out when there's tools out there, technology that you can leverage and budget for appropriately that will help you in the interim while you're implementing whatever strategic initiative you're doing. But going forward, how do we leverage that automation to, uh, you know, incentivize our people to do the good work and we've got the good tools and technology um, so that you're not working off of you know various spreadsheets or or whatever manual tasks or effort you have to you have to um, compile data in use automation use automation use automation so brent what i'm hearing you say <laughs> use automation I, oh did i say that enough? Uh, yeah. that but i would say the other thing i would suggest is with the staff you do have Go do some calendar audits and figure out how much time your people are spending on things. Understand their resource load so you can identify where they might be getting burned out before they do. And they come to you and say, hey, I need a break or I'm, I'm out. I got a job offer to go do half of what I do now for 20% more over here. Um, seeing a lot of that right now. So get ahead of that. Figure out what your people are doing. Know their resource load. Aim for that 65 to 75%. So there's some balance there. Thanks, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Brent. Great points. And, and you know, maybe just to summarize, we kind of started here, and that's, you know, folks need to really start with an inventory of critical roles and responsibilities, knowledge, tasks, all, you know, really all-encompassing uh, inventory. Um, there's organizations out there that can help you with training, whether it's operations, whether it's uh, security, whether it's compliance. Um, so a lot of times it's starting with training your staff on those pieces that maybe they're missing or, or, or lacking to help complement uh, your overall organization. So leverage that tr the training organizations can bring you. Um, partner with some organizations that can help you back up your staff uh, and or replace your staff if that's what's needed. And then uh, lastly, and certainly not least, are you truly optimized of what you're doing for your staff? And that may come in the form of tools, process, procedures, or otherwise. Um, those are all things that you need to consider before you you go asking for more. Um, folks are going to ask you for what you got, how are you doing, and, and are you a good steward of all your resources today uh, prior. So, wonderful. Well, Brent, Nick, I think this was another uh, great uh, Direct Connect session with Archer. Any uh, any last parting words? I would say the, the only one is just drive it home again, staff for your steady state, and then use other resources to get the, those peaks. Yeah, I'd agree. Appreciate the opportunity to kind of discuss this. I think it's critically important as we move forward post-COVID. How are we going to, you know, how are we going to move forward effectively in this brave new world to, to find the right resources and keep them long-term? Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Brent, Nick, thank you guys for your time. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you on upcoming episodes. Have a great day, guys. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network.
If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, at Archer underscore INTL on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and check back every other week for brand new episodes.